0: Episode of the Red Sox and Filter podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Green. We got a very exciting uh, episode for you guys, per usual. Joining me is the usual cast of characters. We got with me an amazing writer over at RedSocksandfilter.com, Dave Latham. Dave, say hi to everybody.
1: How's it going, everyone?
0: And then we also have another amazing writer by the name of Jordan DeCoe. Jordan, also say hey to the people.
2: Hello, people. Good afternoon
0: yes good afternoon indeed we're coming off of three straight wins against the yankees couldn't ask much more than that so uh we're i think we're all in chipper moods we're both excited or all of us are excited for game four tonight going for the sweep got my broom ready actually didn't have a broom went out to the store to buy one just kidding but yeah it should be uh it should be interesting tonight we'll get to that of course but we actually recorded this episode on Sunday, so that was before the trade deadline. So we're going to, usually we just jump right into the series. But today we're going to start talking about what actually happened to the trade deadline, and then we're going to talk about what didn't happen to the trade deadline before we get into the breakdown of the Red Sox Yankees series. So, um, yeah, the Red Sox made a move. They got Ian Kinsler. It was a little bit of a surprise. We knew they were looking for second base depth, but yeah, they decided to get Kinsler, who was with the Angels, having a pretty good year. Um, And the idea was to fill him in at second and give Brock Holt and Nunez some time to not be the everyday starter. And then they would fill in at third base in the interim while Rafael Devers is injured. Um, But uh, that didn't really go according to plan exactly because Kinsley landed on the DL shortly thereafter. But um, I wanted to talk to you first, Dave, and get your thoughts on the actual acquisition and then the subsequent injury
1: okay so um when they first traded for kinsler like i was i was happy because we didn't give up that much to get him buttry looks promising but you know he's he's uh kind of had a out of nowhere year this year no one really knows how good he he'll be he's kind of old for AAA, a so we didn't really give up that much we got a good second baseman. i was on the record of saying we didn't really need one i thought that that was a Added luxury, but when I saw Kinsler play those first few plays, I thought, "Oh my God, this is what we've been missing all year." He's a fantastic <laughs> defender, and you know when you don't watch him every day, like like I don't watch league wide baseball every single day in my life, like I do the Red Sox, you forget how much, like just how good a fielder it is, and how much you miss that Dustin Pedroia presence up the middle. Having him there, like you said, Pat, it allows Nunez to play sort of more of a utility role specifically with third base where he's, he's more fit to be a third baseman than he is a second baseman so yeah. you're making Nunez better. Holtz can play everywhere but we've covered enough times that anytime he becomes an everyday player his production starts to wear down. So the Kinsler trade definitely a, definitely a good one. The hamstring's unfortunate but you know you really can't worry about injuries like not that you can't worry about injuries but you can't control them. Those are just it's part of baseball the good news is that it seems like this is a minor thing. He's on the 10-day DL, and it sounds like he'll be back pretty much as soon as he can be. Maybe not the very day he could be, but this isn't going to be like a month-and-a-half, half 2 months stint, you know? Yeah. So he'll be back soon, and I'm very much looking forward to having him back on the team.
0: Yeah, it was super unfortunate that he went down so quickly after he was acquired because I think we all saw a quick glimpse of what he can provide. He had the three-hit game. I think it was the first game of the Red sox Yankees Series played some stellar defense and he's a very good player he's around a two-win player this year so you know that's very valuable especially over Nunez and Holt who were between 0.5 and negative 0.5 win players and uh, yeah I was was super excited to get Kinsler um, and I think yeah as you said it won't be very long he should be back within 10 days when he was retroactive so it should be a short stint on the DL and then the Red Sox will get Kinsler back Uh, Jordan what were your thoughts on the acquisition and the subsequent injury?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I w- I think, I-, I was, I was surprised as well um, that we got Kinsler, but at the same time, uh, second base has been, a, I-, I don't want to say a problem for us, but a- but a hole in our, uh, I guess, in our lineup or on the field that almost, like almost for an entire year. Yeah, I think yes, we've we've tried our best with uh, Nunez and Holt, but it- we we have we had mi- we have been missing that um, that starter level uh, second baseman since the joy went down. So I think it, you know. Now, even though it came to a surprise, I, I mean we. I mean it's it's great to have him because like he's been he's been performing really well uh, in second base, and then I uh, you know I think he got a couple knocks uh, this series, so I mean he's a good pickup.
0: Yeah, he definitely. I think he's definitely a very solid pickup. I think him and Dozier, who were the big second basements on the market, didn't expect Jonathan Shoup to go, but I think Dozier and Kinsler were the top two. Red Sox got one of them. Um, but yeah, I forgot to talk about this, but Dave kind of covered it. The Red Sox had to give up Ty Boutre and William Herreras, Williams Herreras. Um, and they both come with interesting prospect pedigrees. They're not like really highly touted. They don't have huge ceilings, but Boutre has hit a hundred. He's got some nasty minor league numbers this year, but it was kind of an aberration. It's not, I don't know if it's an aberration, but it did come out of nowhere. As you said, Dave, like he's striking out guys at an astronomical level, his walks are down. And this is like after a career of just struggling throughout the minor league system. But he's had a really, really good season this year. It looks very promising. He's 25, so um, it wasn't the, and the— as I think this was also covered by various outlets of uh, Red Sox media. Um, the Red Sox had a lot of pitching AAA depth, especially in the bullpen. So they removed from a position of that kind of depth in the reservoir to getting a position where they didn't have great depth, and that is position player, especially in the infield. Um, so I made sense. Herreras made a, made a two itting appearance against the Washington Nationals and he did okay. He's got a 386 ERA in Pawtucket or something close to that. So he was a decent uh, he was a decent trade chip too, but we didn't have to give up too much, which was great. Um, but yeah, so with the injury, is Actually, forced um, Tony Renda, who wasn't previously on the 40 man roster, but um, Joy had to be moved to the 60 day DL to make room, and Kinzo to go on the 10 day DL. Um, Tony Renda is now on the active roster with the Red Sox. Uh, he started the year in Portland, went to Paul ducket hit for a really high average. And Dave, you wrote an article about Renda for Red Sox and com Do you mind talking a little bit about what you said in that article?
1: Not at all. So, um, yeah, Rinda, He's been a career kind of bounced around guy. He came up to the Nationals organization, made his debut with the uh,
2: Cincinnati Reds
1: back in 2016. wasn't that great, and he hasn't seen the majors since. Now this year, he's um, had a bit of a career year offensively. He started the year Double A Portland, and he hit three seventy one, four thirty five, five seventy seven, and then he got promoted to Portland or to Pawtucket after just like 20 games or so. At Pawtucket, he's hitting 333, uh, 358, uh, 478. So he's having a really good offensive season, even if it is against minor leaguers. Um, he is aided a little bit by some batted ball luck. He had a 407 Babbitt yeah. in Portland and a 378 in Pawtucket, which is unsustainably high. Those numbers are going to come down.
2: But this is a guy that
1: really doesn't strike out that much, relatively speaking. So um, he has a 16.4% strikeout rate in Pawtucket, and when he was in the post of Cincinnati, he had also a 16.4 strikeout rate. So, it's not a elite number by any means, but it's not like he strikes out that frequently. So, that's always good. Um, but the reason he's up here is, isn't because of his bat. It's because he can play all over the field. Uh, when Kinsler's injury first got announced, everyone was thinking, well, Brandon Phillips is coming up. Phillips is uh, a second baseman. He's the year in our minor leagues, but it was assumed that once he was like physically ready, he would be up in the majors, so everyone figured this would be a nice time for him. But Phillips can only play second base. Renda yeah. can play second, third, he can play right field, he can play left field. He's better in the infield, but he can play those extra positions if you need him to. And with how banged up we are right now, I mean, we had Lukey Betts play second two g- games ago, you really need that versatility from Renda, so Uh, He's a good break glass in case of emergency option until somebody comes off of the DL.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, Renda got the call over Zo Eland, too. So that was that was cu- uh, not cool. That was interesting. Um, but Tony Renda has been remarkable in Pawtucket. I actually had a chance to see him when I went to the Charlotte Knights-Pawtucket game, and he was impressive. I mean, a very small sample size one game, but as you said, he's running some really high BABIPs, um, but he doesn't strike out very much. He's a contact-oriented guy, which is becoming increasingly more rare in today's game. So that's an interesting skill set he possesses, but I think he, yeah, I think he's better than Zoo- Wheatland. Brandon Phillips is not been doing remarkable. He's doing better of late and we'll talk about him later. But yeah, I think uh this was an this was a informed decision, it was a smart decision and, and it's basically rewarding a guy who's been on a tear in the double A and triple A. So I like this move and I like the versatility that it brings. Um but you know, we have Mookie betts now who can play second base in an emergency situation. <laughs> so that, that was uh that was fun to watch him play second. Um uh Jordan, what are your thoughts on Tony Renda?
2: I, um, I, I agree with Dave. Um, I really, I looked at his contact numbers, uh, Pat, I think he touched on it already, but, um, his contact, I, I like his contact. He knows the strike zone really well. I think his, uh, his, like he swings at balls at like a 40% rate. Uh, I mean, that, that seems a little bit high to me, but at the same time, uh, I think like he, I, I think he, um, I think, I think he does really, he does a better job swinging at strikes. Uh, Yeah, he's a very contact-oriented guy. Um, I think, like, in past seasons, he's, like, even, like, throughout his career, like, I think he's put up, on average, like, a pretty high runs-created plus, uh, like, in his early seasons, uh, in his career. Uh, But, yeah, I don't, like, I think his uh, one year in the major leagues doesn't really describe how good good this kid can be. And I think his uh, versatility playing in the uh, outfield and in um, and infield positions, uh, he, he's a great defender all around. So, I th- yeah, it's a very smart move to, to call this kid up.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with it. Um, I agree with what you said. Um, and he's definitely a nice depth piece that they acquired from the Cincinnati Reds, I believe. I think he was a Red last year. Um, but I think he is around 27, so he's not like a youthful prospect brimming with a lot of uh, hope for, you know, future value. He's a guy who's a good depth piece to stash in the organization, and he deserves to be on the roster right now given the slew of injury the Red Sox have. So good on Dabrowski, good on Cora, good on whoever else is involved in that uh, decision. I think this was a very, very, very good move. Um, but he won't be there long anyway. So, um, But, you know, action. Is just as interesting sometimes as in action, and what the Red Sox didn't do during the uh, trade deadline probably got talked about as much as what they did do. Um, they decided not to acquire a reliever, and that was everyone's salient need. Um, everyone's opinion of what the Red Sox salient need was. Everyone was convinced that Dombrowski and the Red Sox were going to get a bullpen arm. Um, there there's so many available, um, and they are going for a premium right now. Um, and so they didn't decide. They decided not to acquire one. Um, Dave, what were your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So I think um, we've talked about this a few times. I would, I would have liked to see us sign a reliever, just because you can never have too many good bullpen arms. But people are acting like this bullpen going to be the downfall of the team, and it's really not, guys. This isn't the 2013 Tigers. We have a really good bullpen as it is already. Craig Kimbrel's one of the elite closers in the game. Matt Barnes is a phenomenal, he's having a phenomenal year. He keeps getting better every single year he's been in the league. Tyler Thornburg seems to have recaptured his own form. Small sample size, I know, but, you know, he's get, he looks like the guy that we traded for back in 20, 2017. So, you know, that's a really good setup. One, two, three right there. Heath Henry has been phenomenal with. Stranding inherited runners, he's great for that role. Joe Kelly looks like he's getting back to the guy he was in April and May. So, I mean, there's a lot of good pieces in this bullpen, and that doesn't even count the depth guys like Brazier, Pointer, Workman, all those other guys that have minor league options that are sometimes up, sometimes down. You have Velasquez as a long guy. So, I mean, I really don't know what you have to complain about with the bullpen. Could it be better? Yes. Every single bullpen in the league could be better, but this is still a really good bullpen.
0: Oh, yeah. it, it is a. I think it's a, a, one of the top bullpens in the league, especially by the numbers. They're like top five in ERA. They're top five in WAR, They're top five in FIP or around top five. So they've performed well. It's just I don't know if they have as many sexy names in the bullpen as they have in the uh I don't even know if that's true, but um, so I was looking it up because I think one of the big complaints was the Red Sox don't have an 8th inning or 7th inning guy after Kimbrell. First of all, I would like to counter with Matt Barnes who's been incredible, but um, the other thing is uh, basically late inning kind of connotes high leverage situation because people want someone who can come in, in those high leverage situations and take over and do well. I mean, that's that's basically why you have relievers. And uh, so in high leverage situations, according to fairing. Fan graphs, The Red Sox bullpen ranks with the fourth lowest ERA, 4.73, and third best FIP, 2.66, 2.67, in the major in Major League Baseball. So, for all the talk of needing a late innings guy, they seem to be. Doing pretty dang well in crucial spots. They're ahead of the Yankees and in this category. I know high leverage situations and statistics in high leverage situations are volatile and finicky. But when they've been called upon to be in these tough spots, they have responded well. And as you said, you just went through a roll call of guys who are more quality than a lot of people think. So I'm not going to do that. But yeah, the Red Sox not only have high leverage guys. Um, who can get into these situations and flourish, but they have depth. They have a lot of depth, and you put those two together, and maybe it's not as as, as sexy as the Yankees bullpen, um, but it's still a very good bullpen. Uh, Jordan, what about you? What were your thoughts on the decision not to acquire a reliever?
2: Um, I mean, when I well, like as as David was talking, I was thinking about it. Um, I mean, maybe if. Maybe, if, like, the two guys that really pop out to me are Heath Hembree and, and Matt Barnes. I know we talked, you know, we gave him a lot of grief earlier in the year. Um, and then we've also covered that, at least with Hembree, he's had a lot of bad luck. But uh, I think Matt Barnes and Heath Hembree in particular have kind of uh, given our, our bullpen confidence. Because uh, we, we do have a good bullpen as it is, but I think uh, Heath Hembree and, and Matt Barnes have turned out to be um, great picks not, not great pickups, great pitchers down the stretch. Um, and at least for me, um, I think that might be a reason why we didn't, yeah, uh, we didn't pick up a, uh, pick up a, pick up a reliever. But at the same time, I mean, like, like Dave said, he can't, ne- you can't never like make additions to the bullpen. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think we're, ha- we're happy with the way. It is, and at, and at the same time, we can score runs with the best of them. So, um, I mean, we have a really balanced team right now, and like I think right now, everything's clicking, and, and it shows in the, uh, in the standings. So we're eight and a half up.
0: Yeah, yes, they are. They are eight and a half up now, and they're doing well. Um, so,
1: and just to just to add one more thing to that too, when we're talking about the playoff. Uh, bullpen. When you think about it, right now we have a bunch of really good starters. We have Sale, who's obviously going to be starting. You got Porcello, Price, Evaldi, Stephen Wright, and Eduardo Rodriguez should both be healthy by then. So there's six, six starting pitchers. You carry four in the postseason. So there's two more really good arms going to yeah. the bullpen. Wright's probably going to be one of them, and then you know any of the other four. Who who knows? It's probably going to be Eddie just because. I
0: wouldn't trust
1: him to be completely healthy by the time the postseason rolls around, but regardless, that bullpen gets even deeper, and really, I don't think, it's nothing to worry about. We have a pretty good bullpen heading into the
0: postseason. Oh yeah, no, I think the postseason bullpen looks really good, especially as you said with those starting rotation guys going to enter there, Um, but yeah, the Red Sox were in on relievers. Kind of, they almost had a deal for Kelvin Herrera that was reported, um, but that fell through. The price tag was too high, so they ended up not doing anything. And like we all just said, I don't think it's the worst thing in the mo- in the world. I think we all thought they would, and we kind of were like, yeah, they probably could use one, but it was not as big of a need as some people made it out to be. So, Dave Nebrowski, I'm 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 impressed with your patience and your. How you've how you've done things this trade deadline and even in the offseason. season, um, but we're going to segue here. Uh, I think this was announced before the series, could have been the first game of the series. Uh, Blake Swihart, who has been hitting the crap out of the ball lately and has been proving himself after you know being chastised all year, he was placed on the ten day DL, which now means the Red Sox have two catchers on the disabled list. Um, Dan Butler has been called up. Dan Butler hasn't been in the majors since 2014, uh-huh. but it also is not very good because Sandy Leone is in the midst of a horrendous slump right now. Um, before Vasquez got hurt, he was doing pretty good, but now his average in July is 159 with the 13 WRC plus. Meanwhile, he has a 190 average and one 1 WRC plus in the second half. This is post All Star break. So, uh, he's got 58 WRC Plus on the season, which is considerably worse than his 67 the year before. It looked like at a point that he was going to be um, on the up, like his offensive numbers are trending in the right direction. His stack has data. Numbers looked like they were actually sustainable, and they showed improved uh, an approved offensive approach. But that has not held water, as he has been getting more and more reps, because Vasquez, who was the almost everyday starter, not really, but... Um, he was taking a lot of those reps, and Leon has not kind of he's not really come rose to the challenge. Good thing we had Swihart, our to do so, but now Swihart's gone, and I don't think anybody thinks Dan Butler can be a very viable backup, but he will suffice because the Red Sox have such a good team around him; they don't really need to be the strongest that catcher. But uh, Dave, I want to get your thoughts on Blake Swihart's injury and what it means for the Red Sox.
2: Yeah, of course,
1: He just cannot get a break. He rode the bench basically the entire duration of the season. He finally gets a shot when Vasquez goes down. He starts getting regular playing time. He starts hitting the crap out of the ball, like you said, Pat. He was on track to be the everyday catcher, or at the very least be an everyday player, depending on injuries. And now he's hurt himself. You know, fortunately, they say this hamstring isn't expected to sideline him long. But when he does come back, he's definitely going to take that job over Sandy, assuming everyone else is healthy. If they yeah. need him to play first or whatever, he'll do that. But it, assuming everyone's healthy, he's got to be the everyday catcher. Once he's back in the lineup, he's hitting, he was hitting too good. I'm surprised by how, sad, or how bad Sandy is right now, but I'm not surprised that he took a turn for the worse. That's kind of just who he is. He's a mostly bad hitter who sometimes gets really hot. So that doesn't really surprise me all that much. Um, Dan Butler, there's a reason he hasn't played in the majors since 2014, so he's not that great either. But again, just weather the storm till Sliheart gets back. And if for some reason this injury really like wears out, it's not expected to. But just if it does, Vasquez, um, he initially it was a six to eight week recovery for his pinky finger. He did that in early July, I want to say. So, if you yeah. really needed him as soon as he could get back, he could probably be back in like two weeks or
0: so. Yeah, and uh, yeah, as you said, Blake Swihart's injury shouldn't be too serious, shouldn't sideline him along, um, so he should be back soon, so it shouldn't be that big of an issue, but Dan Butler is your backup, Cindy Leon swinging the stick the way he is, it's pretty ugly out of the catcher hole right now, but again, Red Sox are so strong all around, it doesn't really matter. I think the, the thing that stands out most to me here is, um, we're talking about injuries, and we've been talking about injuries, I would say probably the last couple of podcasts, the Red Sox lead the league, or they're tied for the lead league with seven players on the 10-day DL. And they have 11 total players on the shelf because they have four guys on the 60-day DL. Um, So they have been battered up and they still are eight and a half games over the Yankees. They're still 78 and 34, so 33. Um, so that's uh, that's pretty wonderful that they're able to have these blows and they're able to fight through these injuries and have the depth to be the greatest Red Sox, or they're on pace to being the greatest regular season Red Sox team in history, at least since 1946. So that is uh that is something remarkable and something to be proud of. Um Jordan, what were your thoughts on the Blake Swihart injury and what does that mean for the Red Sox?
2: Uh, what, I mean what does it mean? Um I mean, I like you said Pat, we've been battered up um off and on throughout the season. I don't think look I mean I think it yeah, it's just a hamstring. Shouldn't be too uh too bad. Uh, but right now, the Red Sox are just piecing it together. And I gotta say, like the injuries are the one thing that are kind of slowing the Red Sox down. Um, and well, I can't even say that they're not even slowing the no. Red Sox down. But like, it would be the one one thing that we yeah. can't have concern about, and we have, like we can't really do anything about it. So, I mean, it, right now it's kind of a hiccup. We're kind of piecing it together. But I'd say you now, as long as. You know, I think the core like Mookie Beth and JD JD Martinez, um, uh, that kind of, those core stay healthy. I think we got a good shot at, uh, at, um, well, we're definitely getting to the postseason, but I definitely, I think we have a good shot at, um, you know, still going into the postseason playing well.
0: Yeah, and I think there was this ironic quote from Aaron Boone after the third straight loss suffered at the hands of the Red Sox. Um, he said something to the effect of, "At like when the Yankees are at their full strength, or w- when we are at our full strength, we can play with the Red Sox. Look, the Red Sox are not at their full strength, and they're still you know wiping them to smithereens this series. So, um, thought that was interesting. Uh, Alex Speer tweeted that out of the Boston Globe. Um, yeah, so um, but we're actually going to start talking about the series now because you know that's a very uh thing to talk about because it's been it's been fun it's been a good series and it's an important series it's been pivotal and the red Sox have responded very well as we've said multiple times so it started out on thursday because this is a four game series uh with a 15 to 7 to win they had 19 total hits the Sox one through five hitters each had three hits um, wow, that's incredible. And we had three home runs from our boy Steve Pierce. So Steve Pierce hit two against right-handed pitcher, um, two home runs. Two of his home runs came against right handers, and the other one came against uh left hander, and I think that was CC Sabathia. Um, so that brought his, so on the season against left handed pitchers, he has a one thousand ninety three OPS and one ninety one WRC plus and that's in seventy four play appearances and Pierce has always been a guy who's hit lefties very well, and the, the idea was to kind of platoon with Moreland and just be a, like, a really an everyday or a left-hander masher um, to complement Moreland against right-handed pitchers. Um, but Pierce. Has a 144 wrc plus and a 911 ops against right-handing pitching this year 79 plate appearances and then Moreland has a 129 wrc plus and 859 ops against right-handing pitching and that's 250 plate appearances very small sample size for pierce um i don't think he's considered because uh, Moreland's not been a great career hitter um pierce has been a better hitter than him in his career so I think it's closer than people think about who you'd rather have at first base um, against right-handed pitching, Steve Pierce or Mitch Moreland. When you're riding this wave and Pierce is so incredibly hot, I think it goes Steve Pierce. But, yeah, Moreland's been awesome, too, and you don't want to plug him out of the lineup. He's, he's an all-star. He's, he was an all-star, and then he responded with the home run when he came back in the lineup in Game 3. But I wanted to ask you, Dave, uh, are you surprised by what Steve Pierce has done this season, and should he be an everyday first baseman?
1: Oh yeah, I'm absolutely astonished by what he's doing. When they first traded for him, I liked the move because we needed a right we needed a right handed first baseman. Hanley served that role earlier and he was good in April, but he was terrible in May. And I agreed with the decision to let him go because you don't want to have to pay twenty two million to Hanley next year when you're not really when you're already pressed up against the luxury tax, Hanley's not worth that money. No, but So we got Pierce. We gave up basically nothing for him, and the dude has just been absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. Uh, you gave all the numbers. It's been amazing to see. Um, I was not expecting this good. It sort of reminds me of last year with Eduardo Nunez when we traded yeah. for him, and he just went off. So I really like what I'm seeing. I'm not sure if I'd make him the everyday first baseman just because, like you said, Mitch Moreland's having a pretty good year. He's slumping recently, but, he well, he had a home run yesterday, so. But he's, over the last month or two, he's been in a bit of a slump. I'd make Pierce the primary guy, but I'd still definitely make sure to mix Moreland in there. The initial plan, you know, was more, have Moreland be the everyday guy, and then Pierce takes lefty pitching. But now I'd switch it around so that Pierce takes all the lefties, some of the righties, and then switch Moreland in there, you know, at maybe two times a week.
0: That's yeah. what
1: I would run
0: with if I were the Red Sox. Yeah, maybe like a 60-40 split in Pierce's favor, 70-30 in Pierce's favor. I don't know. They're they're kind of similar, but again, Moreland has historically been better against righties, and Moreland should not face a single lefty. Uh, Jordan, what about you? Are you surprised by what Pierce has done this season, and should he be the everyday first baseman? Um, I,
2: yes, I am surprised. Uh, like Dave said, we did need his bat. Uh, but to see him kind of perform at this level, I don't think I. I did not expect uh, this kind of performance out of him. Um, I mean, the guy has been has been crazy. Uh, like, like you said, he, like he hit three home runs, six RBIs, um, and, like in game one. And quite frankly, I was happy personally because I picked him up on my fantasy team. But that's beside the point. Good move. We're not talking about me right now. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, yeah. Like at this scale, I don't think uh, I expected. Like a type of production, and um, I mean, I'm with I'm with Dave. I think for me personally, it would be play the hot hand, and right now that hot hand is Steve Pierce.
0: Yeah, I think you definitely have to ride the hot train. Uh, Steve Pierce is absolutely killing it, and the thing is, he's been a Really good offensive player when he's been healthy, and I know he's been kind of restricted to a platoon-type role over the past couple of years, but the man can hit. His defense is obviously inferior to Moreland. I forgot to mention that when I first talked about him. Moreland has the gold-glove caliber defense, um, but Pierce's bad is better. So, yeah, that's interesting. But, you know, obviously Pierce's three home runs three home run feet against the Yankees was very impressive but that was not what I was most impressed about in this game um, so Brian Johnson went five innings he gave up five runs four earned runs so he didn't have a great game by like you know those standards He gave up a lot of runs gave up two home runs um, he was getting hit pretty hard but the dude had 11 strikeouts he had 11 strikeouts and two walks. He had 11 strikeouts. Like, I didn't watch this game in its entirety. Like, I wasn't paying close attention because I had a fantasy football draft at the same time along the same theme of fantasy that we're now talking about fantasy sports. But, yeah, I, was, uh, I wasn't I was paying close attention, and I was doing uh, prep work for this. And Brian Johnson had 11 strike. That is Chris Sale-esque. His previous high this season in strikeouts is 5. He's made 7 starts. The closest, that is... that is more than half that is more than half. he doubled it and then some like 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 i can't i can't get over that like he he his swinging strike percentage in the game was virtually unchanged like it wasn't like he was getting a lot more whiffs he literally just managed to get 11 strikeouts and it was pretty unnoticed because he didn't have a great game but i guess maybe the yankees were thinking like hey we're gonna swing the we're just gonna swing hard and see what happens and it worked for some of them but and then when it was 0-2 they were kind of just swinging to make it go really far and then Johnson kind of you know he kind of took advantage of that and picked up some strikeouts but whatever it is Brian Johnson had 11 strikeouts and I will never get over this because he's not a strikeout guy he's not a big strikeout guy so this was uh this was incredible to me to see like he didn't do much with his pitch mix um so uh yeah that was very notable to me at least um good for brian johnson um this might have been his best start in terms of strikeout to walk numbers it was um i I would go out on a limb and say this was the most strikeouts he ever had in his career in a game i actually know that's a fact so good good for bj even though he did kind of give up hits um so do you dave do you have any more comments on this game that you want to go over before we go into friday
2: uh,
1: yeah, I've got to rebuke your, uh, Brian Johnson 11 strikeout thing here. So, yeah, I mean, good for him. He has 11 strikeouts, but I really don't think that's the game Brian Johnson wants to be pitching.
0: No, I don't I know. I think,
1: um, if he's, if he's going for swings and, swings and misses, he doesn't really have the stuff to get away with that enough. No. I mean, yeah, he struck out 11, but like you said, he gave up five runs and, or five, uh, runs and in five innings, four of them earned. So I really, um, I really think if Dr- Johnson's trying to be a guy that, uh, either blows it by you or um, like just really paints the corners, that's not going to really be the best strategy for him moving forward. Like, he'll get his strikeouts. But yeah. good hitters are going to be better than he than he is if he's trying to do that. He needs to be more of an induced weak contact type guy and hope it goes at the hitters. So 11 strikeouts is somewhat of a deceiving number. I don't think that's good for the type of pitcher Johnson is.
0: No, 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 no. And
1: also I saw it on Twitter. Well, in
0: double-A Portland, he had 12 strikeouts one time. Okay, double-A Portland was where it was. Um, but, yeah, no, I agree with you. I don't think it was good for him as in terms of, like, not giving up runs, which is the point of pitching. But I just think it's amazing he was able to strike out 11 Yankees, who, you know, they're... the. Best lineup outside. Of, uh, they're very close to the Red Sox in terms of WRC plus, but they're a very good lineup, nonetheless. And he was able to get 11 strikeouts, which was doubling his season high. That's just that's just crazy to me that people didn't really talk about it that much and that he managed to do that. I didn't think he was capable of, of doing that, but yeah, he didn't he didn't do well. It wasn't his uh, salient strategy, but he did it. So. Um, Brian Johnson, that was interesting. But uh, now moving to Friday, uh, we had a four to one win. Um, Luis Severino fired one near Mookie Betts' head to start the game. It was after it was kind of maybe in response to a Rick Porcello sinker that hit Brett Gardner in the uh, top frame, but. Both sides were warned, and then Cora came out, and he was furious. He uh, got ejected for the first time this season. He was the last of the rookie managers to do so, um, and then this kind of sparked a little bit of a controversy. Um, the Red Sox managed to get three runs off of him in that uh, hitting and uh, including another Steve Pierce home run. So good, for, good for Pearce, um, and that's a, that's a right hander too. Um, so um, yeah, so. The thing was Severino said after the game, "Nah," in, in response, and he was asked, uh, "Did he mean to do it?" And he said, "Nah, that was the first pitch of the game. Um, I'm not going to hit anybody. If I'm going to hit somebody, I'm not going to miss." Well, that's kind of that's kind of a weird statement because he's saying that if he's going to hit someone, he's not going to miss, implying that he has like exceptional control and that you know he can control where it goes but then he threw one high and inside dangerously close to bets and that that kind of has like a sub subtle implication that he was able to control that pitch if he was going to be able to control if it hit someone so i was kind of like uh ah, severino that was not a great quote to say um but yeah i want to know i want to get your opinion dave first uh what did you think about the pitch was there intent there
1: Oh, there was absolutely intent behind it. Uh, In the top of the first, Porcello hit Gardner on an 0-2 count, which definitely wasn't intentional because if you have an 0-2 count, you're not going to put the guy on base for free. That's a really dumb thing to do. And, like, Porcello doesn't even throw that hard, so it's not going to hurt Gardner. But, yeah, that was definitely intentional. I don't think Severino was necessarily aiming for for Mookie's head. I think it sailed on him a little bit. He was probably aiming for more like, you know, the body area, which... That's baseball. I get it. You're you're a jerk, but I get it. Um, it was definitely intentional. I think Severino should definitely be like subject to some sort of finer punishment, but I know it's not going to happen as long as Joe Torre's in uh, Major League Baseball's office. But you know that was definitely intentional. No doubt in my mind. And I got I gained a lot of respect. I've always been a Cora guy, but I gained a lot of respect for Alex for, for going out there. And um, Nesson has that one clip of him saying something not very family friendly at Severino, and it's just—it was great to see Core get that fired up. Um, that's my manager right there.
0: That is your manager, Dave. Now, what about you, Jordan? Did you think it was intentional?
2: Oh, absolutely. I—I I, I was at that game. I was about ten rows back from oh, man. sitting with my mom. Whoa! And uh, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So I. I I, I, I sat about 10 rows back of a home plate, and after uh, Rick kind of you know got, got Gardner accidentally, I think like you know on the waist, uh, and then you see Severino um, allegedly either lose control or not lose control that's just speculation. Um, pretty much just dust, dust bets off and put him on the ground. I was happy to see Cora. Uh, you know, explode and get ejected. I mean, you got to protect your. Uh, he's he's the best player on the team, I guess. Arguably, um, arguably, besides uh, JD Martinez. I mean, it's so. I mean, you got you got to protect your best player, and it was it was the dirty play on Severino's part, and then for him to make that quote that you mentioned saying that you know if he wanted to hit someone he would hit someone, you know, it just doesn't really uh, it doesn't add up. You know, it doesn't really make sense. It
0: adds kind of more fuel to the fire a little bit. Yeah, the, I wish he... I, I don't know if I wish he didn't say that, but it was. It was I bet he wishes he didn't, didn't say that because it was uh, not the smartest quote. It was a yeah, little I got to
2: agree with you, Pat. Yeah, I think he, I think he missed. And he was upset.
0: Yeah, I think it was a little bit incriminating uh, on him to say that at the end. Um, but yeah, meanwhile, Rick Porcello pitched a, a gem city. He complete game shutout, nine innings, obviously, uh, one hit, one home run. That was the only hit. Uh, zero earned runs, uh, nine strikeouts, and one walk, and only eighty six pitches. He was so methodical in this game. It was it was incredible. He went to his changeup a little more than he has in the past few games, and he was painting. He was absolute painting, and he was he pitched one of the best games I have seen from Rick Porcello in a Red Sox uniform. It might have been the best game I've seen from Rick Porcello ever. So that was that was incredible to watch. Uh, Dave, what was your thoughts on Porcello's performance?
1: But that performance was just out of this world, unbelievable. I couldn't believe what I was watching, just because Porcello was just so automatic, just cruising through everybody. Um, he did give up that one homer, which. Uh, Saved Elliot from Jordan's furniture about a hundred million dollars because they had that free <laughs> giveaway. Go. So you know, nice, nice work, Andrew. Hard you ruined the lives of of like thousands in Boston, but you saved Elliot from Jordan. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just, but it was absolutely phenomenal. It was the start of the year because getting through a lineup that good in eighty six pitches, and nobody throws complete games anymore. No. And Rick Porcello did it, and he. Like, if you told me he was at 86 pitches through six innings, I'd think, wow, that's a pretty good pace. He did that through nine. Just <laughs> absolutely phenomenal work against one of the best lineups in baseball. Start of the year, and honestly, best start I can really remember seeing in a very, very long time. Like, and then this is, like, we've watched Chris Sale the last two yeah. years.
0: So that that was that was pretty incredible. That was uh, great to watch. We'll all give our respective round of applause. We already have, um, Jordan. What about you? What were your thoughts on Priscilla's outing?
2: You know what? Um, it was like I could not believe what I was seeing. Um,
0: and you were there. Like, he
2: was absolutely dominant the entire game. Uh, only gave up that one home run to uh, Andrew Har and. Like when he came out for the ninth inning, I just, like, we, like, warned the crowd and I just erupted because, like, I didn't know, uh, you know, if, if quarter, Cor- well, no, quarter was ejected, but I don't know if it would allow him to go, go, go back out to complete it. But I mean, good for him, man. That, that was, that was, uh, like Dave said, one of the more dominant starts we had, uh, this entire season.
0: Oh, definitely. Porcello was lights out fantastic. Um, But there was another guy who was lights out fantastic. The next day, Saturday, Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock, it started. It was another 4-1 Red Sox win, another big W. But uh, Nathan Avoldi making his second start in a Red Sox uniform. He went eight innings. He allowed zero earned runs, four strikeouts, and one walk. He was in the low 90s. He may have been able to go the yard if Cora decided to eat the whole thing but um they went with kimberl instead um and that brings avoldi to 15 scoreless innings as a red sox he's made two starts one against the twins one against the yankees and he has not a lot of run he has been amazing um so that that acquisition's looking pretty dang good um among starting pitchers with at least 70 innings pitched. nathan avoldi has the lowest walks per nine in baseball at 1.13 that is that is good his command has been so exceptional this season like he doesn't strike out a ton of guys um so like the fact that he's been able to limit the the amount of free passes he's offered has really aided in his success um he has implemented a cutter Um, this year so it's like 30 percent of the time he's using he used it seven percent in 2016 which was his last season Um, but yeah he substituted that which is you know it's a fastball it's a hard it's a hard pitch so it's easier to control than a slider or a curveball and he's kind of substitute that cutter usage for um, for the curveball and slider but especially the curveball he's not using it nearly as much instead he's been relying on the cutter and he's been getting about the same amount of strikeouts as he did in 2016, 2015, but he's been able to limit the amount of free batters he allows to reach base. So good good for Nathan. Uh, Dave, what did what did you see from Rivoldi that you'd like to talk about?
1: Well, I didn't actually see the game. I was at a concert yesterday. Um, nice. Duster came into town, and they're a bu- Portland's a bunch of hipsters, so it was a really great time. But I saw the highlights. And it's just amazing to see what Evaldi's able to do. Um, like, ever since coming over here, I know he's only had the two starts, and I'm aware that at some point in time he's probably going to give up a run. But this is just, you know, it's a great signing. I mentioned on the last podcast that I just I love guys that go out there and attack, attack the zone. One of my favorite things about watching Porcello over the last few years is how if he watch, he gives up. And then we got Evaldi who's, like, on a whole nother plane from yeah. that. Between those two, we have two of the best guys like not giving up free passes I know they're not the two best pitchers in baseball but they're certainly great at that when you combine that with Chris Sale at the top of the rotation David Price somewhere in there because you know Price is one order of Avaldi, the in price whatever order you want they're two through four and that's really the best like outside of maybe the Astros that's the best top four in baseball I think yeah He's really got a great rotation
0: yeah did, did you say Kesha came to Portland is that is that who you saw no, Caster. Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. Okay. Um yeah, I'm not a casher guy. Yeah, <laughs> I went to a Macklemore Kesha concert on Wednesday. That's why that's why I was interested. Um I'm not a casher guy either, but Portland <laughs> Portland couldn't get Portland not get Kesher. We just have to <laughs> oh, that's Boston
1: stuff. So Portland gets all the uh things that can't quite sell out the garden, but still is a deep end yeah.
0: base, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just wanted to clarify, because I thought we like saw the same tour. I thought that would have been cool to talk about. Um, but yeah, Jordan, what did you think about Evoldi's performance? Uh,
2: like, like Dave, I was, I was running Aaron, so I, I only got to see his line, but uh, to see him go, uh, like, like you said, 15 um, scoreless innings, I mean, he he's an excellent pickup. But he's gonna like he rounds out our uh, our rotation really well. Um, and then just looking down the line, he can he can give him the spot start either, either in the bull, either in the bullpen or the rotation. So he's a very versatile guy. And um, I mean, he, he's on a hot start right now as as the new Red Sox, one of the new Red Sox.
0: Yeah, yeah, Voldy uh, is doing exceptional. Steve Pierce, who was a June acquisition, has been exceptional, obviously. We've we've sung his praises. And uh, Ian Kensler looked really good until he got hurt. So David Browski's trade moves have, have worked wonders so far. Um, Mitch Moreland also hit a two-run Jaeger bomb in this game. Um, it was kind of nice to see that. Uh, and this was in Chance Adams, who was formerly like the number two Yankee prospect coming into the year, and he's kind of had a rough-ish year um, in Scranton, so he's moved down on the list. But he made his MLB debut. He gave three runs in five innings. Um, and J.D. Martinez hit his 33rd home run, which is now tied for the league lead with Jose Ramirez, because Jose Ramirez hit a home run today. Um, but you know what? Tonight's going to happen, and we'll see about that. Um, but Craig Kimbrell, man, uh, he looked Awful. He got two quick outs, and he allowed four straight runners, including an earned run. He started off with a stand double, and you know he's a four eleven walks per nine now. He walked two, I think he walked Torres and Hicks, Um, and his walks per nine was one eighty three last season. His command has not been what it was, and. And he's, he's been suffering for it. Um, his fastball didn't have as much life. Um, it was kind of disappointing to see. But he got out of the game. It didn't look like it, it looked. He made it interesting, and it really shouldn't have been. But uh, yeah, it's Kimbrell. I think he'll figure it out. Um, he's going through a human stretch. So hopefully, hopefully he'll be better. But that was that was concerning. And some of his outings recently have not been cause for celebration. They've been more on the edge of your seat than we've we've been accustomed. to to seeing from him um but yeah so on sunday which is actually today um We got uh, the fourth game of the series, and it's going to be David Price versus Masahiro Tanaka. And if you know anything about the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry, one of the most important things you should know is that David Price usually has sucked against the Yankees historically. I don't need numbers to back that up. This is a universally known fact. Um, David Price against the Yankees has not gone well, um, and people kind of despise him for it um outside of the yankees price has been a fine pitcher but against the yankees he is becoming a a shell of himself so it's going to be very interesting to watch him go to work tonight and see how he responds to a yankee lineup that has not been great this series i mean the first game they did well but two earned runs in the past two games so we'll see uh dave what do you expect from david price tonight what is your prediction for him
1: if we're being honest, I don't expect much. Um, I really thought after the, the last game he started, he was entering on like nine great starts, something like that. He had a 260 RA over that frame. I thought this is going to be it. He's going to put the circles behind him, and then he goes in and gets just absolutely lit up. I know this time we're at home. I know he's also on the hot stretch this time around, but I really, I really have to see it before I believe it. But that being said, if you want to be an optimist, which I'm not being right now, Price said after the last one that he needs to reinvent himself against the Yankees. And for whatever it's worth, ever since then, he's really started usali- utilizing his changeup more than he used to. His basketball velocity is down from where it usually is, although I think that's a little bit of an overblown narrative. So he's, um, he's uh, trying out a new thing. He's trying to evolve, become a smarter pitcher, use his stuff a bit more, as um, off-speed things. And it's worked out the last three or four starts. If he can do it again against the Yankees, I think, I I think he has all the skill in the world to get these guys out. I just think it's a mental thing. And until he proves that he can do it, I don't believe that he can.
0: Yeah, I don't know if a lot of people are going in with a lot of hopes for Price's start tonight. But uh, th- this series has kind of caused some uh, some hope uh, amongst Red Sox fans that they can beat the Yankees on any given night. Let's see if David Price can. I tweeted out on the Red Sox Unfiltered uh, account that... Um, that the best way to end this series, which has already been amazing for the Red Sox, would be if David Price pitched a gem tonight. I'm going to say five innings, three earned runs. It won't be great. It won't be bad. Um, I know it's a mental thing, but I'm going to go with what the most likely scenario is going to be based on his statistical norms. I think the Yankees are above average lineup, obviously, and I think Bryce is a pretty good pitcher. So you put those together, you get a decent five-inning, three-earned run start. It obviously could get ugly, but that is what I'm going with. I'm gonna go with the path of least resistance. So if he does great, I can be like, huh, you know what? That, that wasn't too far off from my prediction. And if he does crap and I'm like, you know what? That also wasn't too far off from my prediction. So yeah, I'm I'm being conservative here. Uh Jordan, what's your prediction for David Price's outing tonight?
2: Yeah, I'm a am a few with like as a semi optimist realist, how how it? I wanna explain it, I'm gonna say realist. Um I, I'm expecting, you know, five innings. If he can use, if he can use the defense, that'd be great. Because I feel like, um, you know, if he, if he misses his location, and he tries to overpower the, the Yankees lineup. He's just gonna get lit up like he's like he has been in the past. So, if he can find like some, like some good ground ball, uh, you know, combinations tonight, and kind of use his defense a little bit, um, but. Let's see what it can do. But, yeah, if you can attack them differently, like using the ground ball, uh, that's what I'd like to see. So, otherwise, uh, it's it's kind of a toss-up right now.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of a toss-up. We'll see what happens. Um, Dave, give me a score prediction for tonight. Who's going to win?
1: Score prediction? Um, Yankee sets
0: red touch. Okay. Okay, okay. Uh, What about you, Jordan? Give me a score.
2: Um... I'm gonna say five
0: three. Red Sox. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the inverse of what Dave said. I'm gonna go six four Red Sox. Um, obviously, I have no idea what's gonna happen. Predictions are kind of nah they're kind of worthless they're kind of silly but you know what we're a red sox podcast so you know that that's my prediction for tonight i already bet on the yankees winning the al east in the beginning of the year so i've got to kind of switch flip the switch here and i'm gonna go, i'm gonna go uh, red sox six four here tonight um before we leave we're gonna do a new thing where we're gonna answer some twitter questions i put this on the red sox unfiltered twitter account follow us at Bo Sox unfiltered and we we got a couple questions um the first one um, it says, talk about Brandon Phillips as a September call-up. Um, Dave, I'm going to give that to you.
1: So Yeah, Brandon Phillips, I'd love to see him come up, but I'm not sure that he'd be a September call-up. I don't know the details, but I know he has multiple opt in his contract. So I think if he's still in the minor leagues by the time September rolls around, he won't be doing it with us. I'd, I'd imagine, you know, we've had enough of that to be major league ready. There's a few teams out there that need a second baseman or at least need an audition for next year's second baseman. He'd be making more money away from the Red Sox if he were in another team's majors. He could audition for another team's major league roster next yeah. year. So I really don't see him sticking around till September. I feel like if he's gonna be a member of the Boston Red Sox he's gonna have to be called up before that.
0: Yeah, and sorry I didn't mention this, but the the handle of the person who asked that question is at the underscore surfing. Underscore guy, so follow follow them because that was a, that was a pretty good question. Um, so uh, Brandon Phillips, uh, yeah, as you said, I'm not really too sure about the nature of his multiple opt-outs, but he could have elected free agency on Wednesday, I believe. Um, Adam Lynn and Brandon Phillips had that option. Adam Lynn opted out of his minor league deal, but Brandon Phillips decided not to. So um, maybe that's encouraging. Phillips has not done great. He's done better of late, though. Um, he's raised his WRC plus from around 50 to 78. Um, in a week, I think, so that's more than encouraging. Um, his BABIP is is unsustainably low, so that's also good. Um, his walks and strikeout numbers aren't bad, so yeah, maybe we'll see Phillips in September. Maybe we'll see him earlier. Maybe we won't see him at all. I don't know. So, uh, what about you, Jordan? What would what, you think about Brandon Phillips as a potential September call up?
2: Um, I, 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 I'm kind of, I wasn't not entirely aware of his con- of the details of his contract, but. I mean just the way that you know that that he was a former uh, gold Glover uh back in his uh, back in his red days um I you know I, I thought he he would have made an appearance earlier uh early, uh yeah I guess earlier than um uh, than he has or I guess what I'm trying to say is I would have expected him up already but um I mean if if he can make a if he can make an appearance either Uh, Middle of August or like late September, like why not?
0: So yeah, definitely. We'll see. Definitely. And then the second question we got, which is also the last question, um, from at eighty six Cujo. Talk about your favorite Mo Vaughn swing, and he uh, tagged, um, tweeted at Mo Vaughn. So Mo Vaughn's last season as a Red Sox was nineteen ninety eight. I was born in 1998, so I'm going to have to pass on this question. I know you guys aren't much older than me, so I don't know how much you remember seeing Mo Vaughn, or if you've looked up YouTube videos or something, but uh, Dave, do you have a favorite Mo Vaughn swing?
1: Unfortunately, I do not. I was born in 1994, so Vaughn was gone a bit before I knew what I was watching. I do remember vaguely his batting stance, because when I was very little, I played... Uh, Wiffle ball, I sort of imitate everyone's stance as I went through uh, the lineup, so I could do a very, very poor impression of it when I was like five or six. But aside from that, I—I'm sorry, Movon is a little. Little too long ago for me. Yeah, I wouldn't do it justice if I tried to talk about
0: it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you could put on the Twitter page an impression of a move on swing. Get a wiffle ball bat. Um, think maybe people would like to see that. Um, what, what, what about what about you, Jordan? Um, do you have a favorite move on swing? Were you? Um, do you have any memories of that of him?
2: I think this is going to be a unanimous answer. Uh, no, I was <laughs> I was four years old at the time. I was born in 1994, so unfortunately. I
0: don't either. Wow, okay. So we learned that Dave and Jordan were born in the same year. I didn't know that, so that's pretty cool. Um, But, uh, yeah, that's... uh that we don't have much to say about that. That was a good question, though, especially if we were a little bit older. He had 40 bombs in 1998, so that was the year that I was born. I don't know if that means anything, but uh, that's a pretty dang good year. Um, I've heard of Vaughn. he's an excellent player. He's got amazing stats, especially on the Red Sox. He killed baseballs. Um, but yeah, nothing to that effect. But that's actually going to do it. Uh, for this episode of the Red Sox and Filter Podcast. This is number the big one eight. Uh, Dave, do you have any departing thoughts for the listeners?
1: Uh, yes, I do, actually. I've got to give a shout-out to Bob Um He's, um, for those who don't know, he's a pretty highly ranked prospect in our farm system. I think he's number nine right now, and he's about to get a whole lot higher. He just got promoted to uh, AA Portland. He was actually supposed to make his debut on Friday. I had tickets for it, but it got rained out. And I just saw this on Twitter before uh, we started recording the podcast. Dalbock hit his second home run, hit two home runs today, at least. The game was still going on. He might have added another. But his second one went 451
2: feet, which he
1: absolutely crushed the crap out of it. He probably landed somewhere near my old apartment. I used to live by the Adlock, But um, he's uh, one of the best power-hitting prospects in baseball. Uh, Greenville's manager said, He's the best power hitter that's come through here, and it's not even close. And that manager also had Benintendi, Minkata, and Devers come through there. Wow. He's a bit of a strikeout machine, but if he can limit that, Bobby Dahlbach, you might be seeing him sooner rather than later. So here's a shout-out to him.
0: Yeah, wow, on the, the Bobby Dalbeck train, um, I think Red Sox fans are starting to hear about him, but the dude is hitting missiles at every level, I don't think he was expected to do it at this rate, but I wow, 450 feet, um, that is impressive, uh, Jordan, what about you, do you have any departing thoughts? You
2: know, I, I know we were, uh, were skeptical on the whole David Price uh, start tonight, but uh, I look Nickname for uh, David Price: It's uh, Davy Tinglefingers. I uh, learned that at one of the at the baseball, bar, like right next right next to Fenway. So shout out to <laughs> Davy Tinglefingers. I know that's kind of like a jab at him, but you know, let's go. Yeah,
0: Davy Tinglefingers. I mean, I I I like it. Um, yeah. So <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see if he'll he'll be tingle Tinglefingers uh, tonight. Um, hopefully not. Um, <laughs> And I don't have much of a departing thought. Um, I know we've been talking about... Ooh, 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 I got one. Uh, the Red Sox have a 144 ERA in their last 12 games, which is, like, the best stretch they've 12-game stretch they've had since, like, 1933, I believe. Uh, something like that sought by Red Sox Nation stats are some 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 twitter account so that's pretty cool red sox starting pitchers have been excellent and lights out and uh jbj that 700 ops watch he is uh don't know where he's at but he hasn't done much this week i think he's still around 665 666 so continue to monitor that i expect a three home run game tonight um so that'll bring him up to like 685 so uh, we'll see about that, but uh, that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Thank you for listening. You can listen to this podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes, um, and you can also listen to it on iHeartRadio or Spotify. We are connected with our partners, uh, The Grueling Truth. They feature our stuff on their site, including this podcast, so there are many opportunities to listen to it. Give it a listen, uh, and, and as always, guys, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Go Red Sox.